Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with David Rosenfeld, the author of the Andy Carpenter series, the 13th of which, Who Let the Dog Out, is being released today. David, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. You and I talked a couple of years ago, and at that time, you were in the middle of a release rush. Um, you're, you're sort of there again now. So for people out there listening to this show who might not be familiar with the Andy Carpenter series, it's hard to imagine that anyone isn't. But if there is anyone out there, uh, give us a little sense of Andy and this world you've created for him. Uh, Andy's a lawyer in Patterson, New Jersey. He's uh, independently wealthy through no fault of his own. And he has an ensemble around him, and they go from case to case. And um, he's sort of he's autobiographical to the <laughs> degree that we're both from Patterson and we're both without any physical courage and both don't understand women. But he's a lawyer and I'm not, and he's much younger and thinner than I am. And there's a uh, a shared dog as well. There is. Uh, Andy, actually, we had our original dog was named Tara. And actually, I, the Andy series started, she died in 1993, and the Andy series started about 10 years later. But I gave him a dog uh, named Taras because there wasn't a particular creative stretch for me to come up with that. Now, when the series started, did you expect it? Did you expect to see into the future and say, I'll, I'll be writing the 13th novel and publishing it in 2015? I honestly had no idea to the degree that when I, I, I wrote the first novel, it's called Open and Shut, sort of on a whim, because I was writing TV movies, and they weren't doing courtroom dramas in TV movie land. So I wrote it, and I, I sold it sold right away, and they actually bought it with sequels. And that's how I knew I had written a series. And I hadn't <laughs> thought that far ahead. Um, but when they bought it with sequels, <laughs> I started writing more of them. All right. Now, uh, the last time we spoke, you were you had... You'd published, I think, the, it must have been the 12th, was it? No, it was the 11th then, uh, with dog tripping, right? Right. Okay. And that was the first time that you'd published both a fiction and a nonfiction book at the same time, which is what you're doing this time. You're publishing Who Let the Dog Out, which is book 13, and Life Advice from the World's Most Brilliant Dog. Well, Tara, colon, Life Advice <laughs> from the World's right, Most Brilliant Dog. Less, the second book is called Lessons from Tara. Lessons, right. all right. Okay. Right. That's easier to say. So, yes, um, it's the only... Uh, in the middle, I write non-Andy Carpenter um, standalones, but the this is the second time that I've written a non-fiction dog book, and it was the publisher's idea to have him come out the same day as the first Andy. And, you know, as an Andy, the last time, and it worked very well, so we're doing it again. Yeah, that was going to be my question. It, it, it obviously worked well since you're doing it again, and I had no idea... <laughs> that it would actually work that well. It seems like a kind of an odd idea. What kind of crossover do you get? Well, I was actually not on board last time. I disagreed with the, with the concept of doing two in one day because I figured, you know, how many fans do I have and are they going to actually go out and buy both books? That sort of seemed like a burden to me. But it worked remarkably well. That Andy Carpenter did much better than any previous one. Mm -hmm. And Dog Tripping did, uh, by my standards, remarkably well. And their theory, which turned out to be correct, is that doing a nonfiction dog book opened up a whole area of 
potential readers for me that and in terms of reviewing and so on it was like bringing me into a different world and then that world would cross over to the Andy books and it really worked out well that way I mean they were they were right and I was wrong now I, I find myself for people who might not be familiar with your work uh, there's a bit of humor in it we'll, we'll call it we'll say a bit of humor and I was at the airport spent way too much time at the airport over the weekend and uh, had the opportunity to read who let the dog out and I'm starting the book, and early on in the book, there's a scene where Ricky, who is uh, sort of a new addition to the series, is playing baseball. And I started laughing, and I couldn't stop laughing, and people were just glaring at me, like, what the heck is that guy doing? I wish I had seen you at the airport. I love it when I see somebody reading my book at an airport. Well, it, w- it wouldn't have been that great because it was just me reading on a Kindle, so no one, oh, knew, yeah, no one knew who it was. So I should have stood up and mentioned that it was the new Andy Carpenter exactly. book. Yeah, That's I, disappointing. Harlan Coben once told me that for his first few books, which I guess were the Myron Volatar series, mm-hmm. he said the only time he ever saw somebody with it in an air- saw his book in an airport, he was carrying it. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's great to see people reading a book. But yeah, Kindle cuts that way back. <laughs> You're not kidding. This humor that's in your book, is it something that comes naturally to you, or is it something that you just kind of feel like, I need to have something funny here to break tension? There was no real tension at, at this point in the book where the, the baseball thing came in, but there, it, there, there's humor later on in the book where it, around tense areas. Yeah, no, it's it's... It, not only is it natural to me, it's probably too natural, and I have to guard against it because you don't want to use humor inappropriately. But the Andy Carpenter books are me talking in first-person present tense. Mm-hmm. So that's how I talk in real life. So, you know, the standalones are different. The standalones, I, have, I do it in third person. It's more conventional writing. But the mm-hmm. Andy books are just me talking. And, in fact, both in Dog Tripping and in Lessons from Tara, I had a weird sensation. I, on Dog Tripping, and I think it was Unleashed that came out then, I wrote them back-to-back, and one was in Andy's voice, and then Dog Tripping was in my actual voice. And I was actually surprised by how alike the voices are. I mean, I, never, I really never realized it. But the Andy voice is completely mine. So it's... Um, the humor is natural. I, I mean, uh, my editor... I had to go over it with like a glib remover when I handed a manuscript. I mean, I probably overdo the humor, uh, but it's definitely not a chore to put it in. It's it's more of a chore to take it out. Now, uh, let's give us a synopsis, if you would, of who let the dog out. I uh, wish I could. Um, <laughs> I know I know the way you are. You uh, you write these books quickly and and you move on. And they just blend in together. I mean, but I, and I can certainly give you the setup for it. Okay. Which is probably all I should, yeah. all I should do yeah. anyway. And then, Yeah, don't tell us who is, did it. Yeah, that, well, I, I don't know who did it until I'm on page 250, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Andy and, and a former client, Willie, have a dog rescue foundation, which, is again, is not a creative stretch for me since we have one also. But um, he, they, for, a dog is, is stolen from their rescue center, from the rescue facility, which is fairly unusual since why would you store a dog that you could just go in and adopt? And the dog is stolen. And what a lot of rescue groups now, including what we did, is you put a GPS, a small GPS chip on a dog so that you could actually trace him 
because when you give them, you know, if somebody adopts a dog, that's the time they're most likely to run away. So Andy and Willie trace the dog to the person who stole it. And when they get there, the dog is sitting there, and he's sitting next to the thief, and the thief has been murdered. And that's what, and Andy gets interested because he knows it couldn't be a coincidence that the guy just went to bizarrely rescue this dog, and here he's been murdered, but not by anybody who took the dog. So that's what draws Andy into the case. Now, hope, hopefully it's interesting from there. It, it, it is very interesting. So Andy, unlike you, it, typically only has one dog, sometimes two. Now, in this book, he has two. Um, but you sometimes have as many as 30-some dogs living with you. What's the current count? Uh, the current count is we're at a historic low. We're at 18. <laughs> and the reason it's so low is we now no longer live in California, which is a disaster area for rescue. Uh, we live in Maine, and in Maine there's... It's a it's a wonderful situation for animals here. I mean, comparatively wonderful. There's a very little rescue problem, so there's not as much need for us to take in dogs that can't be placed. So, where do most of these dogs come from if they're not rescue type things? Well, these dogs come from shelters here. Shelters know that we'll we don't we we used to in California we rescued and placed in homes about four thousand dogs. Mm-hmm. Here we don't do that. Here we just rescue dogs for our own home. So the shelter here, shelters here know that if they have a dog that's too old for them to find a home for, or if, you know, we just got a blind golden um, if a dog has cancer or epilepsy or whatever, and, and to make it so that they can't place them, those are the dogs we take. Okay, and for people interested in your life with these dogs, Dog Tripping was a fascinating book about this journey across the country with how many dogs did you travel with? I can't remember. 25. Okay. 25. And uh, in campers and, and readers of yours that came along, it was a great story. And then you've got the new, the, the new nonfiction book where you talk about this life advice that, that you've learned from your dogs, things like uh, when you're in bed, it's best to be on the bottom, little life advice, <laughs> tips like that. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I did not know that a printer could be jammed up with dog hair. So there, no, <laughs> there's some great I, stuff in there. <laughs> I took our laser printer to be fixed once, and he could have made a coat with what was, his, what was stuck in there. <laughs> I mean, imagine, we have, you know, all our dogs, first of all, they're all large, uh, the average is probably 80 or 90 pounds, and they're mostly long hair. Um, so you can imagine at this time of year, for instance, how much they shit. And it, the hair gets in everything. Everything. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a psychotic way to live, is, is the way to describe it. But you, you and your wife obviously love it, I guess. Uh, love having this many dogs. Yeah, we, yes. we wouldn't do it unless we love it. it. It's just, it's very rewarding, and they're terrific. I mean, they're just absolutely rescue dogs. For uh, somehow, must be grateful or something because, you know, a dog will come in. We just brought in a, a, chalk, a nine-year-old chocolate lab, and you would, you know, you would trainers would tell you you could never do it. But I bring bring the dog in, and he meets his eighteen other friends. And within 10 minutes, you wouldn't know which is the new dog in the house. I mean, they've just become so comfortable. It's just a very safe dog, friendly in the extreme environment. And, and you're right. That doesn't seem logical because you'd think that the new dog would come in and there'd be all these territorial issues and biting you know, and barking. I think, and I think there's just so many that they're, they've just given up the idea of having a pack order. <laughs> like It might be like too much trouble to figure out. Um, but it's... We very rarely have uh, fights or, I mean, it, it's, 
despite, you know, I mean, it, it, believe me, if FedEx pulled up right now, it would sound like a fox hunt in here. But it's, um, you know, it's usually very calm, you know, because they're old dogs. So right now I'm looking around and there's very little empty space on my floor in my office. They're all just sleeping soundly. Now, you did a something on your website. I don't know if it came from you or your publisher's idea, but some great pictures in there. 25 dogs who are true canine couch potatoes. Where did that come oh, from? Yeah, the, the publisher did that. What I did was I posted on Facebook a picture of our dogs reclining, <laughs> and I said I told people we'll have a couch potato contest, dog, canine couch potato, and they should send their pictures of their dogs. And then the publisher made an article out of it. You know, uh, and they, it was amazing. The pictures they sent in were terrific. So, um, yeah, it was just a Facebook post that sort of took off. Yeah, and it really is. Some of the pictures really are amazing and the different ways that dogs sleep, and it's probably the kind of thing that you see all the time, but I live with a cat. We don't have any dogs, so some of the, I, like I did not know that a dog could curl up. There's one picture of a little dog in there that's just curled up like a ball. I didn't know that dogs could even do that. Yeah, there's some great pictures in there. One is like on a chair, and it's hanging off the chair. His head's resting on the floor, and his body's on the chair. Um, yeah, the people really and, – and there was hundreds of pictures that didn't make the article. All right, so your website is davidrosenfeldt.com. For people listening, you're going to be traveling about the country beginning today uh, with a lot of different release events. You do a lot of work with Humane Society. So for people interested in seeing you and maybe getting a book signed, uh, go to David's website and do that. Is that the best way for people to keep up with you, David, on your website, or is it social media? Um, I do Facebook, but definitely you can email me through the website. I, I try and respond to all the emails. Um, I've actually made uh, acquaintance friends all over the country through that. It's like I'm, in real life I'm like a hermit, and on, <laughs> on emails I'm Mr. Sociable. <laughs> so it, it works fine. Email me or Facebook. Doesn't yeah, I would encourage people to to follow you on Facebook because your Facebook posts are hysterical. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pretend that it takes you like 45 minutes to come up with something that funny that you don't just come up with it off the top of your head. For example, and I... I will misquote this badly, so correct me where I get it wrong. But there was something on there yesterday, I think, uh, comparing you and Harper Lee. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I don't think I put 45 minutes in total in two years into a Facebook post. But, yes, I, I, I said that, um, that it was like an eerie coincidence, uh, eerie um, uh coincidence between Harper Lee and myself, that Harper Lee published To Kill a Mockingbird, and then the sequel was found as an unpublished manuscript, and how I wrote lessons from Tara, and it, it languished on my computer untouched for almost a week before I sent it to my publisher. So it was hopefully funnier than I just described it. But, uh, well, it was laugh-out-loud funny for me, so I, I think I'm probably your perfect audience, because I'm also a sports nut, and uh, ah. so I just, I'm totally bought into the whole Andy Carpenter world, and I'm always excited when there's a new book. David, thank you right. so much for your time today. It's been uh, great having you on the show again. Thanks, This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or review. Those will help other readers find great new books like Who Let the Dog Out from David Rosenfeld. Thanks for listening.